Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 1 through 13, called The Royal Physician. We are in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 9, so if you would find your place there. We're moving verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to open to chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, would you join us? Matthew 9, 1 through 13, the title is The Royal Physician. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city, Matthew 9, 2. They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this 11, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. You can have a seat. Lord, your holy word is amazing. Each time we get a glimpse of Messiah in action, God in human flesh, we get another insight into the heart of God. You so love the world that you sent your son on a rescue mission to save sinners. Early in the gospel of Matthew, that's what Jesus's name means. He will save his people from their sins. You are a God that saves a God that throws the life preserver to all who will grab a hold of it in Christ. And Lord, hear what a scene we have before us as we watch you once again declare your authority even over sin. And we're so grateful that you came on that saving mission. And we fast forward to the end of Matthew when you institute the Lord's Supper and you say, this cup represents my blood poured out for many for the remission or forgiveness of sins This is why you came, because we have a sin problem, and it's deadly, and we need to be forgiven. And I pray that as we see the gospel, we see the one who is the gospel, the good news, Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, I pray that we would have a newfound joy of our salvation and a new, uh, perhaps even a new insight into what it looks like to be saved, and also to proclaim the good news of forgiveness in Christ. We lay this time at your feet, Father, pray that we would teach the word 
accurately and according to your will and, re- and respond to it in a way that pleases you, I pray in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. You'll notice in verse one of Matthew nine, Jesus got into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. If you were with us last Sunday, we watched Jesus cross over from the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee in a place called Capernaum where he did a lot of his ministry and he moved to the northeastern shore, to the area known as the area of the Gadarenes. And if you were with us, you know that they encountered a storm on the sea and Jesus was asleep and he was exhausted from all the ministry that he had done. And the storm seemed to be devilish. Uh, It was dark. It was something that scared even seasoned fishermen. And they woke Jesus up and they said those famous words, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Save us. And they aroused Jesus from his sleep and he got up. And remember what he did? He rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, shh, who can do that? To the ocean, to, to the lake, to the wind, to the waves. And all of a sudden there was a great hush, a great calm came over the sea. And it caused the disciples to ask, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? And so they came to their destination there in the area of the Gadarenes. And up on the cliffs, there were two demon-possessed men. We learned that one of them responded that he had, his name was Legion. He had perhaps thousands of demonic spirits who had inhabited him. There were actually two of them. They came down from the tombs and they were such scary individuals that nobody was even passing that way anymore. Mark and Luke tell us that one of the men used to scream and croak at night, almost like you would hear coyotes in the night. He was crying out and dashing himself with rocks and trying to drive the demonic spirits out of him. And Jesus came to the shore to bring rescue and deliverance. And I painted a picture last Sunday, if you were with us, that I believe that it's quite possible that Jesus was hearing the hearts of those men on the other side of the sea. Lord, save us. We're being destroyed. Don't you care? Do you sleep? And Jesus came and brought rescue to those men. And one of the men, now dressed and in his right mind, said, Lord, please take me with you in the boat. I want to go wherever you are. That's where I want to be. And Jesus said to him, no, I want you to stay here. You're not going. And I want you to tell your city, tell your people, all the great things that the Lord has done for you. Amen? And so that man became a missionary in the area of the Decapolis And he was telling people, can you imagine what a testimony you were invaded with? How many demonic spirits? That's right. You were the dude up there screaming and howling at night, that scary person now in your right mind, now, you know, forgiven and saved and proclaiming the gospel. And so he'll do his work there. But Jesus got in the boat and crossed over because the people of the area, do you remember, asked Jesus to leave. They were afraid of the incident with the swine going off the cliff, but they, they, perhaps they were fearful that Jesus would impugn or somehow, you know, uh, mess up their business or whatever it may be. But they asked Jesus to leave. And if you were with us last Sunday, I said, this shouldn't shock you because Israel essentially asked God to leave. And America in many ways has asked God to leave. And I don't know how Jesus got into the boat, whether he was sad or anticipated, you know, the response or whatever it may be. It's hard to know. But he got into the boat. He honored their asking him to leave. And he left. 
Sad scene when Jesus gets into the boat and leaves your area because you don't want him there. But it happens. There's people who don't want to deal with it. They don't want to hear about the gospel. They don't want that stuff, you know, in their midst. And off he went back to the other side of the sea, to the area that's described in verse 1 as his own city. Now, many of you know that Jesus' own city was actually Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth. But you might remember that there was a scene in his own hometown where he went into a synagogue in Nazareth and he began to preach to his people and he opened up the uh, book of Isaiah. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And his own people took him to the brow of the hill of their city to throw him off. A prophet without honor in his own hometown, right? It can be difficult when you're trying to reach family and you're trying to share the gospel with them and, and you want to tell them the good news and they, they seem maybe a little bit more of a difficult mission field. Well, Jesus can relate. Can you imagine? Jesus got booted out of his own hometown and booted out of the area of the Gadarenes after delivering these two scary men from demonic possession. So if you've been not always treated with open arms when you come in as the believer in the family, be of good cheer. Jesus understands. And this is the way the Son of God, God the Son, was treated. And so he honored it, and he came to this area called Capernaum. This is known as Jesus' adopted hometown. Uh, he, it was called his home. And it would seem that Jesus set up a base of operations from Peter's home. If you get a chance to go to Israel, and many of you have already been there, usually part of a normal tour will be the area or city of Capernaum. It's still there today. And it's called Jesus Adopted Hometown. And you can see uh, an old synagogue there. You can see what they believe is Peter's house, or at least they've called it Peter's house. And it's really an interesting part of going to the Holy Land. And it's right in the area of the Sea of Galilee there. And so Jesus is now back home, if you will, back in this place. And the scene, according to Mark 2, 2, that's before us actually happens in a home, possibly Peter's home. Mark 2, 2, if you're taking notes, many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door as Jesus was speaking the word to them. Let's not forget that Jesus did a lot of teaching. We have scenes of healing that Jesus does, but he did a lot of teaching. We studied the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He was a teacher. He taught the people, assembled the crowds there, and Peter's house seems to often be a place where there were so many people, there was standing room only, people couldn't get into the door. And many were just trying to hear part of his sermon or maybe get a sick loved one somewhere in his vicinity so that he might touch them and heal them. And so this is the scene now, as Matthew tells a kind of a more abbreviated portion or abbreviated uh, story here. And he says, and behold, as the camera pans, Matthew 9, 2 they were bringing to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic. Let's pause there for a second. So the man that's brought to Jesus is paralyzed. Some versions call this a palsy. And scholars would say when you look at the original word for this paralysis, they don't know exactly what the cause was, whether he was born this way, whether he might have had some sin in his life that 
caused a gradual paralysis. The, the word can speak of something that gradually comes upon a person. And so we don't know for sure what happened. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walking Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Lying on a bed and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Let's pause there for a second. So the man that's brought to Jesus is paralyzed. Some versions call this a palsy. And scholars would say when you look at the original word for this paralysis, they don't know exactly what the cause was, whether he was born this way, whether he might have had some sin in his life that caused a gradual paralysis. The, the word can speak of something that gradually comes upon a person. And so we don't know for sure what happened, whether it was, you know, he was born this way, whether something happened in life, whether he just had a normal injury, a back injury, or something happened to his legs, he fell, we don't know. But it would appear that he was a quadriplegic, so he didn't have use of his limbs. And back in that day, remember, there's no wheelchairs, not all this, these building codes about, you know, doing things for the disabled, no therapy groups. In fact, the mindset in the ancient culture is that if you're disabled, you probably are under the curse of God. Romans, uh, I'm sorry, John 9 implies that the disciples say of the man born blind, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way. And Jesus said, no, nobody sinned. Not all sickness or situations like this are because of sin. We have to be careful there. But it could be. We don't know for sure. But the man has been in a gradual paralysis that now has put him on his back. And the only way that you could move around in this condition is through the movement on a stretcher, kind of an ancient stretcher where where if you had friends or family, they could move you. No wheelchair, no way to move. They had to put you on this stretcher to kind of take the four corners of it. That's why there's four friends here and move you around. And you might be seen as an outcast. The people of the society, this is wrong thinking, but would see you perhaps under the curse of God or you did something wrong and that's why you're under this judgment. And it was a very lonely life. Many people might have turned away from this particular individual. And remember, Jesus was here to heal all the people that society had rejected, like lepers and centurion servants and uh, demoniacs and the like. This is what Jesus does. He comes to save those 
who need a doctor. And so he is the royal physician. And we are told in the other gospels in Mark and Luke, do you remember how these guys got the man to Jesus? They couldn't find a way in. So they dug a hole in the roof of Peter's home. They went up, in in Israel, they would have stairwells on the outside of homes, flat roofs where they would grow crops sometimes or they would just have as an extra place to sit or whatever. So the roof was flat. So they'd probably go up an outside stairwell of a neighboring home, somehow get him over to that roof and then they began to dig in Peter's roof, which would have sticks and, you know, brush and uh, thickness, and they would be digging and making a mess. Can you imagine, Peter? No! <laughs> Not bad enough that you people are always at my house, but now you're digging holes in my roof. Who's going to pay for this? I could feel Peter saying, Lord, stop this stuff. But they found a way. Faith found a way. These are some pretty good friends, Amen. And remember, faith, we've talked a lot about faith, and we're in Hebrews 11 on Wednesday nights, and faith often has obstacles. Faith might have a Red Sea, a Jordan River, giants. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, is there a way in my situation? Faith found a way. They got to the roof, they dug a hole, and they lowered the man down and basically placed him right at Jesus' feet because they loved him. You know, the essence of love is we bear one another's burdens and thus we fulfill the law of Christ. And we want to get people to Jesus' feet, amen? We want people to hear about the good news. We want them to experience the touch of the Lord. And these men, you know, got their hands dirty, so to speak. And sometimes if you get in the trenches with other people, you're going to get your hands dirty. And sometimes it's exhausting. It's hard to bear others' burdens, but... This is what the Lord says is one aspect of our love. And so they dug the hole and they lowered him down. And Jesus saw their faith. Look at the middle of verse 2. Seeing their faith, an active faith, no doubt. And I think it's the faith of all of them, the four friends plus the man who's paralyzed. And you can feel it. Jesus saw their faith. That seems to be an acknowledgement that things are good. The man's at Jesus' feet. Jesus is doing all kinds of healings left and right. So here it comes, right? He's about to say it. Get up and walk. We're going to see a miracle. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says to him, take courage. Be of good cheer. Other renderings have it. My son. I don't know if he calls anybody else my son in the New Testament. Take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Why did he say that? Obviously, the man has come because he's in a stretcher, because he's paralyzed. But there is a paralysis much more significant in all of our lives, and it is the issue of sin. Oftentimes when I address a group of people like at a memorial service, I'll try to explain why we die. The Bible says the reason we die is because of sin. The wages of our sin is what? Death. The soul that sins shall surely die. We live in a world under the curse of sin. Death is, is the result. And so everybody walking around, I don't care who they are, has the same issue, the SIN virus, 100% deadly, 
100% of the time. And your greatest need will be to have your sin forgiven. You know, those who are psychiatrists and psychologists say that what plagues mankind, what causes many people to be in emotional crises is a guilty conscience. And I've talked to many people over the years, and I've sensed this myself included, that when my sin was forgiven, I felt as if a weight had come off of my shoulders. Can you relate? As if I had risen to a new life, and that's indeed true spiritually speaking. And many of Jesus's miracles, please hear this, were also parables. The miracle was physical, the parable peered into the spiritual realities. Each one of us are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're disabled by sin, and it's going to cause us to die. But we can be made alive. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. So we've got to trust in him. Take courage. Be of good cheer. My son, I want you to make this your own. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. If you are in the new covenant and you know Jesus Christ, that's you. My son, my daughter, God might say to you, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. God is no longer counting your sins against you. Praise the Lord. That's a good time for a hallelujah right there. Do you know why? Because God charged your sin to his son. His son took the wrath of God at the cross for you and for me. And you are a forgiven person if you are in Christ Jesus. His righteousness has been credited to your account by faith. Praise the Lord. Be of good cheer. If nothing else this week, could you remind yourself this week? Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. I'm a forgiven man. I cannot forget who I am in Christ. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. You are right in the sight of God because of the work of the Son. This is who you are. This is the good news of the gospel. And if you've been waiting to tell someone about this good news, start with that. I have some really good news. Your sin was nailed with him at the cross. Trust him. Grab the life preserver. You've been listening to The Royal Physician, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew, Chapter 9, Verses 1 through 13. And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is always available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please tell a friend about Walk in Truth? We hope today's teaching will be a blessing and uplifting to someone you care about. Would you please encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? If you're listening through your podcast app, please click the share button. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. We have another layer of our ministry right here at Walk in Truth, and it's called A Step Closer. Often we'll have a special 633 event at Living Truth, or we'll do an apologetics-type message, and we'll attempt to take a step closer on a topic, a hot topic. And recently, at our fellowship, Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where I serve as senior pastor, we had Tim Barnett come out, and he talked about the deconstruction of Christianity. 
What is that? That is that there's a phenomenon going on. It's happening among the young. We've seen it in some singers who are Christian singers, worship leaders, but not just limited to them. And that is that they be, begin to deconstruct their faith. What does that mean? They, they're, they're going back and questioning everything that they learn from the Bible, every ethic, every doctrine. But usually in a, in a deconstruction way, that means I'm just going to basically undo everything that I believe. And typically, and this is what Tim pointed out, typically that leads you to just believing whatever works for you, which is creating your own God and just takes you right back to a subjective, I'm spiritual, but I'm going to define it for myself. That's not healthy, safe, or <laughs> right. And Tim will point out why. Check it out on our app. It's called A Step Closer, Tim Barnett getting into the deconstruction of Christianity, explaining what it is and why it's happening and how to deal with it if you have a friend or family member that is deconstructing their faith. Check it out. It's called A Step Closer. It's on the Walk in Truth app. Hey, get the app today and you can get the extra content and I pray it will be a blessing for you. Walk in Truth app. God bless. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 1 through 13, called The Royal Physician. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.